everyone. Welcome back to Conversations on Sex Addiction Relationships. And I'm Jeannie Vitoni, LCSW in California. And I'm here with my good buddies, uh, Wendy Conquest in Boulder, Colorado, LPC, and Tim Stein, LMFT in California with me. And we are sadly missing our best friend, Dan Drake, who's down in LA, and he is speaking at a conference, so he sends his regrets. Uh, today, we're talking about love addiction. And love addiction is a really big topic. And so there's lots of different pieces to it, um, but it's so important and so many people are struggling with it. We thought we'd make it a topic for today. So guys, love addiction. What do you think? How does it show up? And how would you define it? I, I see love addiction showing up with a number of my clients and, and, and with some of the, the people that I work with, while they may have a sexual be addictive behavior, love addiction is almost the primary thing. And it's that experience of they need a relationship to be okay. They need that experience of feeling loved with by another person. Um, and and that, that obsession and preoccupation gets in the way of them being able to make, you know, life choices that actually work for them. They, they get stuck in that, I need to be loved by another person in order to be okay. And that becomes the primary drive of, of, uh, of most of their, their, their choices compulsively. Mm -hmm. And Wendy. Thanks Jeannie. So this is a challenging piece with love addiction because uh, people will ask, well, if I am uh, loving and uh, passionate towards somebody, what's the problem of that? And the big piece is when it becomes compulsive. Mm -hmm. And so it's a piece around, I'm always having to be in a relationship, uh, as Tim was saying. Um, I think it's also a piece of, um, uh, and what I say is we're, we're hardwired to attach that, that we know now with brain chemistry that that's just a part of being a human being is wanting to attach to other human beings and be a collective and be a tribe. So when does this become a problem? And so I, I, what I'm finding now is that it's um, compulsively texting another person. Compulsive, you know, and what I'm seeing is with the younger generations is it doesn't need to be a love object. It doesn't need to be like a boyfriend or a girlfriend. It can be, uh, I, I have a, a curiosity, can it be consistently on Facebook? Do, can that manifest as a form of love addiction? I know I'm going off a little bit here, um, but for our younger listeners is if you are on your phone on Facebook, two hours a day, three hours a day, four hours a day, you know, is this starting to be a problem? Is, are there other life events happening or life necessities happening where you're avoiding them or not engaging with those because you're so engaged with wanting to uh, get likes on Facebook or wanting to uh, get recognition from someone or something else? And so I think that that's the key component of love addiction is needing outside validation and um, needing to be in constant contact. I would say that that core piece of, you know, for my definition, and we can talk about other people's definitions outside of the three of us, but is using the other person or experience as the qualifier of I'm good enough in the world. Yeah. So if they like me and in, in, in my mind, I'm like, okay, 
that could be sort of age appropriate in the teenage years or the early teenage years. You know, I want to be like everybody else. I want to conform. I don't want to stand out, which then totally flips into individuality later. But it's, I'm okay if they tell me I'm okay. And in, in my definition, love addict is I'm okay if someone likes me, if someone's approving of me, if someone wants me and needs me and needs me around. So I'm using them and their opinion of me to be my guiding force in the world instead of sort of the locus of control being inside me. So, um, and I know we've got some other experts out there. There's a lot of people who do a lot of work on this. Um, we've talked about Pia Melody. We've talked about SLA, sex and love addiction, um, anonymous. So do you guys have some of those resources to share yeah. with our group? Let's start with Pia Melody who wrote Facing, Co uh, Facing Love Addiction. Um, and she, and there's two things that I wanted to sort of put out into the to conversation first sort of like her general definition of love addiction, which she starts the book off with. A love addict is someone who is dependent on, enmeshed with, and compulsively focused on taking care of another person. And then she talks about three characteristics of a love addict. Uh, love addicts assign a disproportionate amount of time, attention, and value above themselves to the person to whom they are addicted. And this focus often has an obsessive quality about it. He said it again. Can you rephrase or re restate that in other words? Because to me, I was like, well, okay. And I'm sure. a visual learner. So I'm hearing in an, in an auditory way. So it takes me a moment or two or three or five. A, a love addict uh, uh, gives uh, uh, an excessive amount of time and attention to how the other person feels about them in order to feel okay about themselves. There we go. Okay. Love addicts have unrealistic expectations for unconditional positive regard from the other person in the relationship. I need the other person to consistently like me and be okay with me. And if they're unhappy or angry with me, it, it, it's un, intolerable. Or not giving me the number of likes and clicks and whatever yeah. on the social media. That totally goes with that one. Okay, cool. And then, and then third, love addicts neglect to care for or value themselves while they're in a relationship. Yeah. I'm focused on taking care of the other person, making sure that they like me, making sure that everything is okay at the expense of myself. I love, I'm so glad we broke that down. Cause I mean, Pia Melody is a force and an amazing researcher clinician woman and, yeah. and a book out there. We'd love to have her on the program. Wouldn't that be cool? I think, you know, and, and when I'm thinking about that, one of the things that comes to mind for me for some of the love addicts that I've seen in my office, and I want to just be clear, I've seen love addicts walk in who are uh, coming into our program on the addict side, but I've also seen love, love addicts coming in who are on the partner side, you know, or neither, or, 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 or not neither, in yeah. the sex addiction system at all. So love addiction is not necessarily only an addict or only a partner. It, it, it's a larger pattern that we have to look at. But one of the, the hallmarks that seems to come, from, come up for me is somebody is very clear that they're in a relationship that is unhealthy and they're unwilling or unable to create space or set boundaries or step away, even though they can very, very clearly see that this relationship on the extreme end is abusive and on the other end is just, it is just not working. It is not functioning. And, 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 and they're un, while they can acknowledge it, they're un, unwilling to take actions to actually change that, whether that is addressing the issues in the relationship or whether that's leaving the relationship. I'm going to challenge you on actually, you said unwilling. 
Mm. Because I'm just thinking of different love addicts I've worked with. It's uh, willing and just don't feel able. Yeah. Like it's, which is goes back to first step. Like this thing is bigger than me. I'm trying so hard. I want to, I see the dysfunction of it. And I just don't feel like I can leave or I can break up with this person. It, it just feels like um, a complete inability. They want to, they just can't break from it. It's, it's tricky. Wendy? Yeah, can we, so I'd like to, so there's uh, 12 step organizations oh, yeah. called uh, and, and they're based off of Alcoholics Anonymous, but they have branched into all different uh, ways that people are compulsive. And so one is called Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And so what I'd like to do is read the following behaviors from, and they mm-hmm. list this on their website, but basically the behaviors that um, people who self-identify as self and love addicts experience. That's okay. Yeah, please. Yeah. So having few healthy boundaries We become sexually involved with and or emotionally attached to people without knowing them. Fearing abandonment and loneliness, we stay in and return to painful, destructive relationships. We confuse love with neediness, physical and sexual attraction, pity and or the need to rescue or be rescued. Should I say that one again? Yes. We confuse love with neediness, physical and sexual attraction, pity and or the need to rescue or be rescued. Mm -hmm. We sexualize stress, guilt, loneliness, anger, shame, fear, and envy. To avoid feeling vulnerable, we may retreat from all intimate involvement. Ah, the running away from. Running away from, yeah. The avoidance. Okay. I think it's important with the slaw one that we, someone can be a love addict without being, having that sexual piece in there. It's just this organization, sex and love addiction, they combine and they acknowledge both. Right. And so um, a a common um, situation is that a, a love addict, a true love addict will use sex in order to try to get love. So it's this piece of, okay, if I'm sexual with you, then will you love me? Yeah, I'm well, going to the- say there are sometimes there's, I mean, in my experience, there's love addicts who don't use sex, but are using the relate, you, you being in the relationship. Right. I can't, I can't tolerate you not wanting me, needing me. Yeah. But it's so not necessarily some, sexualized. So sometimes there's an overlap of, of like sexual behaviors or sexual addiction and love addiction. And sometimes there's not. I know like with Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, which started up in Boston, uh, one of the individuals who founded it was, um, you know, his story is actually at the beginning of their big book. And he talks about being in a marriage and being loving, uh, loving and, and being devoted to his wife, but also having a mistress on the side and being unable to let go, even though he knew the damage it was doing to both relationships and just feeling obsessed and preoccupied and his recovery started with having to figure out what to do around this obsession with, I can't let go of either one of these people, even though it's damaging me and them, because it, he, he felt like he would just disintegrate. 
without either of those relationships. When he was in one, it was everything. When he was in the other one, it was everything. And um, so I always find it fascinating to, to think about that story and how the idea of you can be addicted to love and a relationship got integrated into the sexual sex and love addicts anonymous um, program where many other programs are just so, so uh, independently focused on just sex addiction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, when you, you, when you tell that story, Tim, it's so interesting to me because when we talk about addiction, a lot of times it, 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 it sounds so, uh, how do I say? So, so hard and nasty um, and almost uh, evil. Mm -hmm. um, and so the way that you frame that, I, you know, I just had a lot of compassion for that person of, and, and how much pain and suffering that they must've been in to, uh, to, to, to on one level, no, boy, this isn't, this isn't good for my wife. This isn't good for my mistress. This isn't good for me. But the, here's the piece of not being able to stop, not being able to um, set a boundary and say, okay, I, I, I have to choose one or the other and, um, and then work completely in that particular relationship. Yeah. Um, so I think with love addiction, um, with love addiction, they, they talk about having stashes so you're in one relationship with one person, but you have all these other relationships kind of waiting in the wings. So love addicts can spend a lot of time, um, how do I say, a lot of, a lot of time um, um, uh, uh, being, be, a lot of time acquiring and maintaining different people so that if one relationship doesn't work out, they've got one or two or three uh, waiting. And can you imagine how much energy that takes? Oh yeah, right, we've seen it. I wanna, I wanna say that that is one kind or one type of love addiction. There's someone who's, I, I, it's interesting you say stashes. Like I say, I always have someone in my back pocket ready to go. I got numerous irons in the fires you know, and all these different relationships of people I'm texting on the side or whatever. And love addiction would still be, I think, an appropriate descriptor or, or, or designation for someone who doesn't have all the people in the background and the irons in the fire, but is in one relationship and, and, and goes back to Pia's stuff, putting that person's needs above my own, unable to break away because even with dysfunction for both of us. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily I got multiples in a serial addiction, a serial relationship person, but just stuck in this one. And I don't mean stuck, but just this, and there's an intensity in the dynamic. So it brings up a question for me. So let me just toss this out for, for us to talk about when, yeah. where is that? And I, I make up this on a continuum. When does it, when does it shift from commitment to a relationship or commitment to a person that I, I have a relationship with into love addiction? Mm -hmm. when, when does sort of like, yeah, we're going through a tough time. Yeah, you're not being very kind to me, but I have you know, meaning in our relationship and I have meaning with, with, with the connection with you and I'm willing to work through this. When does that shift from commitment appropriately to a relationship to being a, a love addiction which is 
becoming compulsive and I can't let go even though this is in problematic and painful. Tim, I would say you just kind of, in my mind, answered the, the question, which was when it becomes problematic, it's no doubt that breakups are difficult, especially when people are really, really connected or longevity of time of the relationship, but breakups are difficult and, and sometimes do take a long time, long, quote unquote, of, of detangling that relationship. For me, the part you just answered was when it's hurting both parties and they're not separating. And then the question for me is like, well, when is that a love commitment versus an unhealthiness? Yeah. So it, it, this is tricky. Yeah, it is tricky because we're talking about healthy and unhealthy relationships. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that, that's another podcast is, so for our listeners, we have done a podcast on selfishness and self-care. Um, and this could be another podcast on um, what's a healthy relationship. You know, what are what are the characteristics of, of that? Um, and so I, I really, so one of the pieces I think with love addiction is um, I don't think that person really knows who they are. Mm-hmm. The focus has been so other oriented. Great point. Uh, and it could be from enmeshment. We, we did a podcast on enmeshment um, and what happens with kiddos when they've been in a mesh relationship and how that manifests in adulthood. Um, but it's this piece of, I, I, I disappear. I don't know who I am. And so I, I have to get validation. I have to get something from someone else to somehow have an experience even. So I can't even feel my own feelings, but if someone else says that I am feeling angry, oh, okay, then I'm feeling angry. Um, someone says, oh, you, you must be sad. Okay, I'm sad. Hmm. Um, just, just whatever it is, don't hmm. leave me. <laughs> whatever you do, don't leave me. You know, one of, one of the things that comes to mind as you're saying that is I think about some of the couples therapists that I know and, and talk cases with, and I will often hear them say things like, a relationship isn't really a relationship until both people in that relationship acknowledge that there's an exit door. And what, what they're saying is not both people need to leave, but both people need to know they could leave and they would be okay. And the other person would be okay if, if they left and they're choosing to stay, not because they have to, which is really mutual captivity, but because they're choosing to stay because of the meaning of the relationship. And so when you're talking about love addicts getting lost in the relationship and not even know who who they are, one of the things that comes to mind for me is that idea that love addicts don't recognize that there's an exit door or if there is an exit door, the idea of opening it is just unfathomable to them. I'm here. I have to be here because if I'm not here, who am I? I'm not okay. I've lost myself. And so in a, in a very real sense, you know, they have either uh, lost or locked that exit door out of the relationship. Not that we want them to always take it, but they've lost that option. I want to make sure folks of the faith community are not thinking that we're saying because you and your uh, religious belief systems or culture have made a life commitment when you marriage that 
you're a love addict because you're not thinking of an out. Like those two things, like we have to be really careful with that because there's a lot of people of faith who would say, I made a covenant, I made a promise within my religious system and my belief systems. And so they're so therefore that couple's therapist definition, like that wouldn't even, I couldn't even entertain that because I don't believe there's an out. And um, that's part of my personal beliefs. So are you therefore calling me unhealthy? And I would say, no, <laughs> we're not calling you unhealthy because in your faith system, you've chosen to have this belief that marriage and ending of marriage is not an option. And in some cultures and some religions, it's, it's, an option, but the very, very last one kind of a thing. So I just want to make sure we're not saying that if you have an exit, if you're not considering an exit, you're a love addict. We're saying really making a choice to be in this relationship and choosing it every day. That's sometimes a really healthy version. Oh, just one, just want to bring in guys that in case you're, um, just checking in to us and listening and coming into the conversation, we are talking about love addiction, um, different definitions of it, different resources of it. It's such a big topic, um, but we're looking at different pieces of it and how it shows up in relationships. So I want, as a couples therapist, um, I want to give my reflections on um, what I've seen over the decades of how people get into unhealthy dynamics and then how we get out of them, if I can. Yeah. So, um, so one of my favorite things to do when I meet with a couple is basically draw out their family of origin, um, their family of origin dynamics. And so what I find consistently is that two people will have traumatic injuries uh, similar. So it's going to be either abandonment or invasion and at the same developmental stage. So, you know, I might have somebody whose um, father died when they were 10 and then another person who um, had a parent that had a significant um, uh, uh, illness when they were eight or they themselves had an illness when they were eight. So they both had this very terrifying um, event happened. So, um, so we know from trauma that it doesn't go away with time um, and that we also, with what we have as mirror, mirror neurons that we pick up on each other's neurocircuitry um, that we can sense in another person, oh, you've experienced what I've experienced. And so what I say over and over again to my couples is, you know, these traumas can um, bring you closer together or they can rip you apart. And from the trauma, I mean, I, I firmly believe that addiction, all addiction is rooted in trauma and that addiction is, uh, is largely a very, I'm gonna use the word bad coping mechanism. Um, so, but it is a way for that person to try to cope. And um, when we start working with addiction and really go getting down to what happened in, uh, to that kiddo, um, we find that there's a trauma that um, was significant and or traumas multiple that was significant and they this is how they learn to cope. So um, so we're talking about what we're talking about what um, how couples can figure out how to 
Um, so I, I really love it when both people, and I have to say it's hard with sex addiction and, and, and betrayal trauma because at the beginning of sex addiction, a, you know, a ton of focus is on the sex addict and really, you know, they're, they're the problem and they're, they're destroying everything. Um, and when we look at both people and we look at these traumas and it's hard, 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 I think for the, the partner to do that. And it certainly doesn't happen at the beginning of any kind of recovery. Um, but when we really look at these two people, um, they, they both, uh, they, they both have their individual traumas that I really support them to look at and to heal from. And you can do that, you can do relationship work while two people are uh, also doing their individual work, I believe. Um, so bring this back to love addiction, Wendy. Yeah, so, so, so for example, if you have a love addict and you have someone that's with the love addict, it's like, oh, how did these two people come together? And so I believe love addiction stems from a significant trauma and mm -hmm. i believe it's a it could be an invasive trauma it can be an abandonment trauma it could be both um, but that person then is saying um i'm hungry right i'm i'm hungry for connection i'm hungry for um a positive for positive regard i'm hungry for um just being told i'm okay mm -hmm or that I'm pretty, or that I'm handsome. I'm hungry for it. So, so in, in a uh, non-love addict relationship, mm -hmm. I, might, I might desire for my partner to love me and to find me attractive, but my, my value, my worth isn't 100% based on that. I can be very sad and upset if that is not the case, but it's not 100% based on it. And as I'm working through my trauma or my partner might be working through their trauma, we're willing to be there and be present and support each other, even in the difficult times as we're working through that and figure out what that pathway forward looks like. When I'm in love addiction, I'm not really directly addressing my trauma. I'm using my partner or the relationship or the experience of feeling loved from another person to not feel the trauma, to stuff it down, to push it away. And if that object, whether that object is a person, the relationship or the experience of being loved, if it goes away, it's terrifying to me, whether I'm consciously aware of that or not, because what I'm using to not feel and deal with that trauma is being taken away from me. And I'm being left in this, this pit of emotional pain, of emotional trauma, because my soothing agent, not somebody I have an equal relationship with, but somebody I'm using to not feel my trauma has gone away. Right. And I think there's a big piece between being lonely, feeling loneliness, and being alone. So I think a big piece of recovery from love addiction is, oh, gosh, I'm feeling lonely today. I need to seek out some form of connection. And the connection shifts from one solid one love object to, oh, maybe I'm going to connect with nature. Maybe I'm going to connect with myself through doing something creative. Maybe I'm going to connect with other, um, you know, with other people that is a non-sexual relationship. Um, so, so that's, that's the definitive 
It's moving the attachment from one particular compulsive piece to a much wider, healthier spectrum. I like the way you said that, especially the part about learning to connect, but often with yourself. I, I know that in my own recovery journey, meditation and sort of like that internal relationship with yourself has been very, very important. Uh, and I see that with a lot of my clients that are, are trying to figure out recovery from love addiction, which is that moving the sense of soothing from someone else to, oh, I can, I can soothe and nurture myself. I can be okay in my own skin. And then I can connect with people from a place of, I don't need them, but I choose them. Yeah. I want to, I, I think we need to start wrapping up here, but one of the things you just said, Tim, I was thinking about I some of my clients who do struggle with love addiction are very well-balanced people, have a good work life, have social life and all those things. And, and they're saying to themselves, love addiction doesn't seem like the right match for me, except when you look at the interpersonal intimate relationship. It's not the friends. It's not the people, their coworkers that they've got good, you know, give and take relationships. It is the romantic partner, the partner who is closest to them. And that vulnerability piece, that's where sometimes you see the love addicted relationship. And so some people will say, well, love addicted, you know, I'm having all these relationships. Just remember public that it's one person and it's your emotional and mental um, intimate romantic partner we're talking about using their sense of you to be good enough for you. You're using them to cope, using them to self-soothe. Because I do see people like love addiction's not for me. Like that doesn't match. Except when we look at the romantic partner relationship. Yeah. So I'm thinking of the gender piece, because a lot of people in the world, you know, I think, I believe society has this vision or understanding that love addiction is really uh, a female problem, a problem for the gals. And I don't really see that to be true. I see just as much men struggling with love addiction. What do you guys think? I, I agree. I, I don't work with a lot of female clients. Most of the clients I work with are, are males uh, and are addicts. And I see a good chunk of love addiction within their going within their their dynamic and their relationships and sort of the way that they're approaching um, connection with other people, using other people to to make themselves feel better with that love addiction kind of thing. I have not really seen this to be a, a gender specific kind of issue. Yeah, I absolutely would agree with that. I think that uh, earlier on. Um, men were mainly labeled as sex addicts and women were labeled as mainly love addicts. And in the meetings, you would see uh, that uh, uh, manifest. So um, men mainly in sex addiction, sexaholics anonymous, sex addicts anonymous, and women in love, love addiction or sex and love addiction. And so we're seeing a lot of uh, 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 duplicity with uh, people uh, searching out both at different times. And so I see a lot of men recovering from sex addiction and then this love addiction is bubbling underneath the surface. And so I think it's really worthwhile for um, both men and women to mm, slaw, we call it a slaw, it's, sex and, it's a shortened version for Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. They have a 40 question uh, list that you can read online and uh, see what fits and, and what doesn't. And 
Um, by the way, those are those are not easy assessments to take. I think a lot of people uh, make a lot of um, reasons why they're not addicted, or how could you be addicted to love? And so when they take those assessments, it's a it's a challenging situation to to say, wow, yeah, I I, I meet half the criteria here. I think there might be a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, in my in my work, because I work with men and women pretty equally, I think, in couples, is um, I don't see more men or more women in the love addiction department. I, I see it pretty equally. And it shows up similarly. It's either the serial relationships, I got someone ready in my back pocket kind of a thing, or it's, I'm in this relationship, it's unhealthy, it's destructive, I know it, and yet I just can't bring myself to really cut it off. And I need help doing that. Yeah. Um, and I would say that if, if if somebody is noticing that this resonates with them to definitely pay attention to it. I know in my own recovery, while I'm in recovery from sex addiction, that dealing with love addiction was a significant aspect of my recovery that I still pay attention to. And uh, I would just encourage anybody not to put it aside and assume that everything's good. But if they feel like there's something going on here, look at it, deal with it, because recovery is looking at all areas of our life and getting everything in balance. And if, uh, uh, if you've got a love addiction piece going on, pay attention to it so it doesn't create chaos down the road. There's resources to check it out. And that's one of the beautiful things. It's like the positive side of the internet. It can be a tool and there are a lot of good resources. So for people who want to do more work on this and see, is this right for me? You know, I think that's, there's resources out there more than there ever was before. So I was going to say closing thoughts before we start wrapping this one up. I, 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 my, my closing thought was if any of this resonates with, with you, you know, one, the one thing that I would encourage you to do is um, I, I think the one thing that I, I find most powerful is that work on your relationship with yourself. <laughs> when I, I think the answer to love addiction is I'm developing a healthy relationship with myself mm-hmm. so that my relationships aren't needed, but they they can be chosen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, therapists who, who understand love addiction can be very helpful with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, SLA or Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous can be very helpful with this. There's other, other places you can get some support and some guidance. You know, Pia Melody's book, you know, Facing Love Addiction can be helpful. Mm-hmm. But... Um, but I think the, the, the one thing I would encourage people to, to keep in mind is they're developing that relationship with themselves so that they can relate to other people in a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, in closing, I would um, support anybody out there listening. If you think that this is an issue, um, one of the litmus tests is to take time uh, for yourself. It's a very simple experiment. It's okay, I'm in this relationship and this weekend um, I'm going to not text, I'm not going to call, I'm not going to spend time with this person and, and see if you can go the whole weekend, you know, mm-hmm. so you, you set a time limit, okay, from Friday night to Sunday evening and just watch what happens in your mind and in your body and um, do, can you do it? First of all, can you do it? And second of all, how easy or difficult was it to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was also thinking in closing, like it'd be great to have Kelly McDaniel on 
because oh, yeah. Kelly's written this book twice edited, you know, ready to heal, which I always think is a great book to read to say, is love addiction right for me? It's a good book to figure that out. And then Slaw has this 40 questions. They describe different characteristics. Is that a match for you? So yes. for resources. Kelly also wrote Mother Hunger, didn't she? She did. And when you said hungry, hungry, in my mind, I'm like, Kelly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah no, I agree. I agree. Uh, we'll have to reach out to her and see if we can get her into one of our conversations. That's right. And this is what happens is that we get talking and our brains get bubbling and these new ideas and new topics come. And so out there to the public, stay tuned. You never know what kind of next topic we will have. Uh, thank you for being here. Do all the liking that you need to do without it being love addicted <laughs> for us. <laughs> We're just trying to help spread the message of having good quality information out there. And thank you for being here. Thanks, everybody.